When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by The Helmet Club, live Le Mans 2018 sim racing event in aid of Ronald McDonald House Charity. Visit helmetclub.co.uk to learn more. Today's episode is called The Proof is in the pudding. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Turumpets. How's it going, Matt? Oh, it's going great. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing really well. We're also joined by that youngster, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. Hello, Chris. Hey, Spanners. Oh, nice to catch up with you, Chris. I haven't seen you for minutes. I know. It's been a full six hours. Uh, as a result of that, my health kick has been well and truly suspended because I was away all weekend with you and Bradley and David, our drone pilot, filming a masterclass video. And it did, of course, involve some beers last night and unconfirmed reports of a Burger King. I'm your enabler. <laughs> that's it. Well, that's it. You're my, you're, you are the reason that all that happened. So yeah, I'm not to be blamed. Uh, my conscience is absolutely clear. We won't give away the ending, but we had a great battle. We've got some amazing footage from our drone pilot, from cameras on the ground, and the fact that the countryside for Herefordshire Raceway is just glorious. I mean, that is a fun track, isn't it, Chris? It is so much fun. The, the elevation, the camber, it's all really, really good, and it's such an amazing setting. The The drone footage is sublime i can't wait to see it put all together and we must say a big thank you to chris powell who actually gave us the sessions the three sessions for free we turned up he gave us carts gear and track time and just said you know on you on you go lads Uh, the facilities are yours to use and abuse uh it was absolutely fantastic so thanks very much to chris and the team at herefordshire raceway we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Now, Matt, because me and Chris have been away, we've left you to do all the show content, 
I don't have a clue what it is we're going to be talking about. I'm hoping it's F1 related, though, Matt. Uh, yeah, it is pretty F1 related because, of course, the biggest of all the big news that we had this week were all of the car launches. I mean, I know we've got testing tomorrow. That's very exciting. And uh, I think we'll probably get into what's going on there in a little bit. But we were fortunate enough to convince a certain Matthew Sommerfeld, or better known as Summers F1, to drop a few voice bombs on us about these cars. So I thought it might be fun to have a listen and see what he have, has to say about them. And I, I believe we've got Sauber queued up first, as they were one of the first out of the gate. Cool. So this segment is entitled... Big Dirty News. All right, then. Let's listen to the tech man from Birmingham. The Sauber C37 is a drastic departure from its predecessor as it's utilising the current generation 2018 power unit and Ferrari gearbox, which means that they're pretty much locked into running a similar wheelbase to the works team. It's not a problem to Sauber though as they've most definitely pushed the front axle forward as well as they look to defeat the tyre turbulence created by the, the front tyre wake. Whilst they haven't taken the lower side impact support spa route that was pioneered by Ferrari in 2017, what they have done is worked extensively on the side pods, narrowing the main inlet as much as possible in order to improve the aerodynamics, whilst also introducing a top-mounted inlet that's pushed further down the car in order to complement the lower one. Whilst the side pods are Ferrari-inspired, the front suspension is definitely out of the Mercedes playbook, um, as they're utilising the upright extension that puts the upper wishbone in a more aerodynamically friendly position, tying in with the work that they've done to the side pods. They also have a neat solution going on at the front of the car where they're utilising uh, what Force India have done with the hollowed-out nose, which appears to be quite aggressive um, and also ties in with what they're doing with the S-duct, which too is also quite an aggressive solution. All in all, it's an impressive package from a team that's often considered to be one of the backmarkers. Whether it's enough to catapult them forward remains to be seen, but I'm excited to see how they, and especially Charles Leclerc, can do this season. So it's a sign, Matt, isn't it, that the off-season has come to an end, because we've seen these cars now, and it's kind of a shame, isn't it? Because we've had a winter of freedom to talk about whatever we want. And now we kind of, we have to take it seriously. I've been looking at the statistics. People have started coming out of hibernation and listening again. Yeah, they have. And yeah, we do. And especially because we're going to have cars on track tomorrow, which is incredibly exciting. And I think everybody is is overdue. Um, and it's interesting to note about the Sauber. It seems like one of the biggest things, one of the biggest changes has been this movement of the side pods higher by most of the teams. And Sauber is, is a big exception to that. They've not moved that impact far lower and moved their side pods higher. But honestly, I think most people's reaction to the Sauber was based on that epic shot from behind, which is just it looks utterly lovely, and it's one of the few um, from-behind-the-car shots that we have seen thus far as the teams are being very, very cagey about what sort of images they let loose into the wild. So I'm betting our video editor, he's so spot-on, I'm betting that uh, an image of the Salba rear end will appear here now. See? Video magic. Now then, uh, it's quite funny because obviously Summers is going on about all this stuff. Oh, the blown diffuser has moved to the Y2K vortex. And I, when, when I got the reveal of the alpha, which I'm calling the alpha, I don't care. Um, I was like, ooh, pretty red and white alpha. You know, for me, the launches have been a lot more about seeing the team's image 
um, and what they're going to present to the world. You know, do they do they give you an aggressive image? Um, do they have a change of sponsor? Does that indicate a change of philosophy, a change of owner? But when Summers looks at it, he kind of goes, that'll be quick. That'll be slow. Not impressed with that. And you just go, wow, how can you tell? Yeah, borrowed that, begged that. Not going to work. Could be good. Wait and see. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm going to hereby suggest that from now on, we call it the Salfa. Hmm. Okay, let's see if that grows on us, the Salfa. All right. Tell us, tell us what you think. Tweet us at Mist Apex F1. Should we call it the Alpha? Should we call it Salba? Or should we call it the Salfa? In any case, <laughs> in any case, though, Chris, I mean, we were saying this last week. No, I wasn't. I said it in my blog. I wrote an actual bloggy thing. Now, I'm not a writer, but I have decided to start just putting my random thoughts down because I can't always get them out on the podcast. There's almost no point sometimes, say a tech subject comes up and Matthew Summerfield decides to talk about it. There's no point saying, Right, now I'll give you my completely amateur opinion on it. And the same happens sometimes with uh, journalism stuff and polit- political stuff. Um, so the blog is just for me to kind of put my random thoughts down. If you, you're interested, just go to mistapexpodcast.com and click on articles. And if I've written anything, it will be there. I did do one this week, though, Chris, where I thought that Sauber might be a bit of a dark horse. Given that they have one good driver, potentially, later on in the season, um, once the rookie gets a bit more experience and the fact that they have a current generation uh, Ferrari engine, I, I am not as pessimistic as some people. I think that they could really make a leap into the midfield, a genuine one. Yeah, definitely, at, at the very least to the tail end of it. Uh, I would agree. Uh, I, I fully expect them to, to take a good step forward um, this year. You know, if you're Haas, you're going to be slightly worried, uh, really, because I think they're probably the ones that are at the biggest risk of being um, overtaken, the other Ferrari uh, team, which would be interesting. Um, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't say they'd be at the back because that's probably going to be the, the Torosos in, in all honesty, if uh, Honda's form continues as we've seen over the last three years. I mean, I'm trying to make predictions. We haven't even seen the cars out on track, but no, that's the it, best kind of speculation, wild, unfounded speculation. No, I mean, it's uh, just going off of past form, but Salva are looking in good shape this year, to say the least. Don Byrne says Salfa has potential, and Mr. Fawzi says Salfa. Uh, Pat Peter Yannick suggests Alba. No, I think these are these are all rubbish. Actually, Salbo Romeo. That's that's pretty good. Alf Alba says Bruce Wayne. Wow, Bruce Wayne's in the chat. Oh, that's good. Uh, but okay, so here's my wild speculation. Here's a prediction. I think that. In 10 years' time, we will be looking back on a historic snatched podium by Charles Leclerc in the back end of the 2018 season. What do you reckon, Chris? Uh, You were talking about unfounded wild speculation. That is the most unfounded, the wildest and most speculative of speculations I have heard this year. Yeah, but it's what's what psychics do. No one will remember that I made that prediction. But if it happens, they'll be like, ha ha ha, I am a genius like Summers, but for championship podium predictions and not intricate tech that takes a long time to actually learn. Uh, Ren- Renta says, Salfa Bromeo. They're getting worse. They're, they're actually, they're getting worse, guys. Uh, Matt, did you want to move on to the next clip or did you have more alpha stuff to say uh the only alpha stuff uh the only other thing really worth paying attention to and and we know because it's testing lap times or not necessarily lap times per se but it's going to be real fun to see uh leclerc's lap times in comparison to ericsson's in testing 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd expect Leclerc for a rookie to hit the ground running. He certainly did that in F2 uh, pole position in this first race. So uh, no presser, pressure, uh, Charles. Um, the, the thing for Selba as well this year is, uh, you know, they have uh, not only, you know, a, a current engine which they didn't have last year, but also what they didn't have last year was a proper development plan, which they already have uh, for this year. Uh, so you should be seeing those updates come consistently throughout the season as well. So they're probably not just going to be a team that maybe starts the year strongly and then dips off towards the end. You know, it would be a target for them to be a consistent team throughout the season. So who's the next clip that Summers talks about? That would be Renault. And I know there's a little bit of controversy about the double quote unquote reveal, but I saved the second part of it, the controversial part for later. Let's hear what he has to say about the actual car when it finally made its appearance. The initial launch of the Renault RSA team was rather a damp squib for me and should really have been classed as a livery reveal. The car hit the track yesterday. Okay, so I think he means livery. Or is that just how Brummies say livery? Livery? We'll just roll with it, it's fine. And apologies for some sort of rustling jacket in the background there. Yesterday, though, uh, as they undertook a filming day and shakedown and showed more signs of improvement from them, a French manufacturer. The car features some inspiration from McLaren, with the team conversion on their hold nose uh, pillar and Estuck philosophy from last season. There's no major Mercedes-style front suspension or Ferrari sidepod-style shake-up for Renault, though, with the team retaining a relatively conventional sidepod arrangement. They do appear to have moved the front axle forward, though, which will lengthen the wheelbase and move it away from the front tyre wake. They've also, like McLaren, who were clearly influenced by the works team, angled upward their exhaust quite steeply as they tried to get the diffuser and rear wing to talk to one another, aerodynamically speaking. All in all, it's more of an RS17 2.0 than a totally new car, but with games expected on the power unit side of things, I would expect the team to be fighting at the front of the midfield this year with the likes of Force India and McLaren. Okay, Matt, so power unit side... Uh, Summers wasn't particularly impressed with the Renault, but what, you know, was he even looking at the Renault? Um, I think he was probably looking. They did have an image out later, but I suspect Renault uh, is is being very coy in terms of what they're going to show up with, and um, as a result, we don't we're not getting the best information yet. Excuse me, um, <clears throat> we're not getting the best information yet in terms of what they're really going to be bringing to the table, but still. At the end of the day, his um, impression is that they will be in that sort of McLaren Force India back of the top three ballpark, uh, given the resources they're bringing to bear this year. And and given their performance at the end of last year, I, I, I find that wholly credible. I mean, we can quietly agree that there will be a group of Red Bull, McLaren, and then maybe Renault, maybe just a little bit behind that i don't but agree after the, after the news this week though you know you have to question well where is that group of three going to end up in the whole grid because i think a week ago we were pretty and it was going to be towards uh the, the sort of podium placings i might be getting ahead of myself here no but... no actually i think this news item fits and if matt's ready to talk about it i think what chris is alluding to is we've had some news about the philosophy that red bull are approaching this sorry that Renault are approaching this season with that has actually kind of, you know, turned some of our expectations on, on their head. Uh, what's going on, Matt? 
what's going on. Okay, well, I, I mean, I th- and I think Chris is probably on this as well. But essentially what's going on is, you remember how we were making fun, or I was making fun of Renault last year for basically not finishing and saying Alonso might be getting his hopes up for no good reason because he's equally likely to flame out in the Renault? Well, well, pretty much what's happened is uh, Renault has come out and said, yeah, well, we see this is a problem and we only have three engines. So our first engine is going to be our quote unquote reliable engine. And they quote unquote hope to show up at Australia with roughly the same amount of power they had in Abu Dhabi, but just much less prone, prone to uh, catching on fire and blowing up and stuff like that. So what they've done is this, you know, just to get this initial part of the season out of the way, engine one has got a more conservative approach where they are targeting the reliability over uh, the power. Now, engines two and three, they might change that and try and up the power. But uh, you remember last season, Renault had already started on the back foot because they had to use a, a, a year old or a, a old spec uh, Urs system. And we are basically coming back into this, this same region where Renault as a power unit manufacturer are starting on the back foot compared to the rest of the manufacturers that is going to hinder Red Bull's chances of the championship. We've been saying they need to start the year strongly. Renault need to start it equally as strong for them to be able to challenge for the championship. So depending on what we see in testing, it might already be done for Red Bull. You know, um, that might be, you know, jumping the gun a little bit, but you kind of have to face facts. There's probably now going to end up running into the same issues they've been running for the last three or four years. No, I don't think I don't think you're being particularly hysterical. I think that I was expecting them to be closer, but down on power anyway. So for them to have made the decision to voluntarily be down on power to save on reliability, when Matt, it's such a huge chunk of the season before they can actually bring those performance ratios versus reliability, uh, before they can change it with a new engine, they've, they've almost told us that they're writing off 2018 as a yet another development year. The Ferrari engine, finished article. Mercedes engine, finished article. Both of those will have improved over winter. What we're hearing from Renault is same performance as last year, still got reliability issues, not pushing fully on performance. For the first third of the season, which, correct me if I'm wrong, gives you the same amount of points as the last third of the season. No, that's some some very advanced mathematics you've just done there, Spanners. I, I, I would well. have to agree. Now, in in their defense, they have they have really targeted it from the end of last season. And according to Cyril Abitable in his uh, interview, which I saw in Motorsports.com, uh, quote, we've covered 11 times the mileage on the dyno we had covered at the same point last year. And we're aiming to have 70,000 kilometers on by race one, which is which which shows clearly that that that, that as you often argue yourself, that reliability matters. If you can't finish, you certainly can't finish first, given Red Bull's um, given Red Bull's natural superiority and the chassis department and where they wound up last year, plus the known involvement of Adrian Newey at the start of this year, I, I would truly expect them to be able to collect standardized amounts of points until Renault begins upping the power uh, with the second and third engine. And that is a plan to step the power up with each subsequent uh, power unit. Yeah, you're right, Matt. I am fond of talking of that topic about the relationship between performance and reliability. And as a prize, 
whoever can tweet to Chris Stevens the episode and timestamp of when we had this argument and Chris said there was not a relationship that correlated between performance and reliability, I will send you a missed Apex mug because he's giving me a funny look and I bet he's going to deny he ever said that. But there is a missed Apex mug on the line. You can have a new one or a used one. It's up to you if you're a bit weird. Chris, they've made the decision to sacrifice performance. You're twisting my words as usual. Am I? Or am I stating exactly what you said? No, you're twisting my words. Um, You're twisting my words so much, you've made me forget what I was going to say. (laughs) Uh, Ah, yes, it was about the other manufacturers. The other man, see, the other manufacturers seem quite confident in this, uh, in their reliability and the three engines rule. For them, it's, it's, it's not so much another hurdle to jump over. It's maybe a minor inconvenience. Um, but Renault seem to be the only ones who are a bit, you know, or at least publicly anyway, saying, yeah, we're, we're a little bit worried about this. No, I was just laughing at the idea that someone as young as Stevens would have any problem with his memory whatsoever. But, you know. I don't think it's memory. Knowing his generation, he's probably Googling it. That's what all the millennials do. They just Google it and then they then they, they scroll down till the first item that agrees with their pre-held conceptions and then then they just parrot that. I believe that's how it goes. And I believe that's how I'm meant to complain as a nearly middle-aged man. So um, what else have you got uh, out of Renault engine-wise? Um, I think this really highlights the fact that three engines is a massive deal. It's something that's not been talked about because of the Halo and Grid Girls, but actually this is one of the changes that hurts the most it's going to hurt from an engineering point of view, and I think it's going to hurt from a sporting point of view as well. But only for the manufacturers that can't you know, build their cars to the regulations. I mean, we had this debate towards the end of last season about whether Formula One should try and uh, suit the manufacturers or whether the manufacturers need to just put up or shut up in terms of actually getting their car to do the miles um, that, it, that it should do. And uh, if we were going to go for the latter... Then, then it's their problem, and you'd say really the Mercedes and the Ferrari power cars probably going to be fine uh, in in this, you know, and they certainly held strong last season. Uh, whereas, you know, the the Renault, the Honda, especially, will probably really struggle. Yeah, and in the chat room there, we've got well loads of comments, but the one I'm looking at is from uh, Shushmit Mondal, who says this is because the other manufacturers can turn the wick down to increase reliability where Renault needs to speed up. And that is a luxury they had with five engines and four engines was to give you that performance and accept the odd power unit blowing up. It's going to be a complete disaster if they set about with that. So with that same attitude. So I can see why they've gone down this safe route. To be honest, I think the rules have forced engine manufacturers to do this. And I'll bet to some extent Ferrari, Honda and Mercedes are also having this in mind. But what kills me from a sporting point of view, Matt, is that they are now going to have to think about a race in five weeks, in, in five races time, when they're making decisions about whether to push for an extra point. So do they chase that car 15 seconds down the road? Or do they think, oh, well, we've still got this engine in Barcelona. A, a decision in Melbourne to chase a podium is, is going to have an effect you know, months later. That's what I don't like. I know you don't like it, but um, it, it's a reality of the way the sport is right now. Um, there was an excellent interview, um, I believe, with Lewis Hamilton or with uh, his race engineer in which they talked about Lewis frequently 
uh, turning the engine down even more and more often than, than the engineers themselves would have asked him to do, all in the name of preserving the engine and its uh, operability uh, for when it was absolutely positively needed. And in that sense, you know, all racing, whether it's sprint racing or whatever, you're always going to want to run as close to that margin. You're going to run as far away from that margin as you can and still finish first, which is the classic pros to drive as slow as possible, but still be cross finish line first. And this is, this is really the calculations that all of the teams are engaged in. And it's going to come back up again when we talk about the uh, new technical directive that we heard about this week. Ah, yes. What we are dubbing the something directive, which we will come on to a bit later. Do you want me to play the next launch audio from Summers? Yes, this would be McLaren. Um, and they've just been sucking all the oxygen out of the room in terms of coverage, haven't they? They have. And some of the social media stuff has been brilliant. There's definitely a buzz about the team. But then there kind of was last season as well. There was. And I'm just going to interrupt you because in the chat room, so Schmidt Mondal said, thanks, Spanners, pronounced a Bengali name correctly. Score. Yay. Yeah. I, I think this has never happened before in the history of Mr. Apex. Maybe I can only pronounce Bengali names correctly because I just I mess up with everything else. It took me 18 attempts to say Herefordshire Raceway earlier today. You <laughs> nearly slipped out there as well. I said it slow so I could get it. Uh, but yeah, the stuff coming out of McLaren has been really positive, uh, really happy. I mean, that video of um, Stoffel van Dorn being interviewed and then Alonso getting out of a sports car that was being driven by Zach Brown and kind of kissing the ground in relief that it was over, uh, all that kind of stuff they've been putting on, him saying happy times are ahead, it all feels really, really positive. They're making all the right noises. Uh, let's see what Summers has to say about it. Okay, so now we move on to the McLaren MCL33, which will be a, a Renault-powered car this year rather than Honda, with the team having had a messy divorce with Honda during the latter stages of last season. Um, the car is very much an evolution of last year's car, as they needed to focus on the installation of the power unit more than anything else this year their chassis has been considered to be a sorted element um, over the last few years uh, with the arrival of Peter Pedromo back in 2014 from Red Bull they sort of moved on to this high rake philosophy that we've come to know from um, from Red Bull down the years so it obviously follows that kind of DNA the car itself has a few extra tweaks to it when you compare it to the MCL32 around the bargeboard area that's been exploited more for this particular car um, as they try to deal with the issue of the, the wake coming off the front tyres. Um, but the most interesting element of this particular car is the rear suspension element with the upper wishbone conjoined into, into one piece in order to work as a, as a solid aerodynamic fairing rather than, than two individual components. Um, it would be interesting to see how that serves them going forward. Um, in terms of their performance this season, um, I expect that they'll have a, a relatively slow, sp- low, slow start, although they do have a, a planned significant upgrade package available for Australia by all accounts um, this car is, is going to be a, deliver performance over a, a longer range of time I think we're going to be waiting towards the mid to end of season for it to really expose its full potential um, however I do see them in the fight for the, the front of the midfield when we get to that point in the season fighting the likes of um, 
Force India uh, and the uh, the works team of, of Renault. I don't think that we'll see them take the fight directly to Red Bull this season. Although, obviously, with them having a divorce from Renault, perhaps at the end of this season, we could see them falter towards the end of the season as well. Ooh, One I... other noteworthy point about the, the MCL 33 is that, like the works team, they've actually up ended the the tailpipe of the exhaust as they're trying to make the rear wing and diffuser talk to one another from an aerodynamic sense. Um, something that we may see other teams start to approach um, once they've seen this working on the Renault. Um, it's an a- interesting area of uh, exploitation based on the fact that we, we're going to have a limitation on the, the sort of min- monkey seats that can be used around that area this year. In my defence, I interrupted him, but that was a very long pause. Uh, fair enough. These are just coming from WhatsApp notes, by the way, v- WhatsApp voice notes that he sent to Matt. Uh, in the chat room, M. Hilmi Fauzi says it just needs more sponsors. How is Bic, Bic Pens, not a sponsor of that car? It's the same exact colour scheme. Or Iron Brew, for that matter. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've gone for the very orange, and this has made a lot of people very happy. Now, if, if anything, I think the McLaren livery has, it sort of sums up the F1 community in a nutshell, which is, we want the papaya orange. They give you the papaya orange. Oh, we don't like it. That's really? a fascinating journalistic what insight. Ones I've said that a lot of people, I don't like the new livery. It's just in. Some people on Twitter don't like a thing. No, that's, that's very true, actually. It's, 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 if you take the combined opinion of Twitter... Basically, everything is awful because hardly anyone really cares when they like a thing. They see a thing they like and go, eh, quite like that. If they don't like a thing, they go, I hate it and I hate everyone who disagrees with me forever. So what you always get is this noise floor of just complete negativity. It's it's like a marriage, but online. <laughs> I can lie with that because I'm married too. And our I... wives don't listen, crucially. No, not at all. Thank goodness for that, right? I can't laugh at that, but I will say I do like the look of the car. I like everything that's coming out of McLaren. I like everything that they are saying. I like everything that they're doing, but they're quite good at this. And they fooled me before in the Honda era. They fooled me with all of the Ron speak. I just assumed everything he said was true. When it comes to delivery is unfortunately where they've fallen down, not just in the Honda era, but 2013 with performance, 2012 with strategy, reliability. So... They've got to do a lot to earn my, obviously don't have to earn my fandom, but to earn my getting excited, I need to see it on track, Matt. Yeah, and and actually it will be very interesting because McLaren has always had a reputation as a team that develops very heavily across the season. They rarely show up. They, They put more development in and cover more ground. They tend to show up not quite ready for everything. And then they work very hard to make up for it across the season. And that has served them well sometimes, and that has absolutely not worked for them at all. What's very interesting about this year's uh, car is that they've admitted to it up front. They're like, look, we have a brand new engine. We're really not going to be putting a lot of our new bits and bobbles on just so we can establish a baseline with the power unit in our car compared to last year's numbers so that we have an idea of the gains we can get from the bits we're considering adding on. And so really, you're not going to see, um, uh, from an aero point of view, 
uh, from the wings and the stuff like that, you're not going to be seeing the full package until they get to Melbourne. And that's going to be their starting place. The stuff that had to be baked into the chassis, we have already seen. And Summers has addressed that, I think, very adequately. So uh, apologies if Summers did say this in this last point, but I think uh, we had this question in our office. What level of homogenization is there for the chassis? So what they show us, say, in testing and what they show us for these launches, are they any way bound by any of that? Or could this all be just a complete bluff? Um, okay, uh, I'm not Summers, and I can't even imitate his voice very well, but I'm certain that the non-aero parts of the chassis, which is going to be the tub and the body, all have to go undergo fairly strenuous impact testing and that you cannot replace those parts, those structural parts, without um, without re-crash testing it. And the thing that I will go back to is, of course, the classic Red Bull with how many noses did they have before they finally got their tiny nose approved back in the uh, awful days of the uh, anteater noses, or I'm being polite, calling it anteater noses. But Thank you. <laughs> for those of you who were there, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Google 2014 Caterham for one of the best examples of that. <laughs> uh, so I was looking at that new McLaren, and I am no tech guy like Summers, but I looked at it, and it looked a lot narrower and tighter than a lot of the other cars. If you look at the side pod with a picture of it, whereas, say, the Mercedes side pod is quite chunky sticking out, this almost has the bottom half of the side pods missing and a very small air inlet. And I, we, you know, we were wondering what was going on. I think Josh Geek in the Slack group said, you know, perhaps that would be an issue with cooling. And, you know, if that is the, the whole aim of that side pod structure, maybe they've sacrificed some cooling for aerodynamic gain. But then Mercedes did that, did they not, with their brakes? They sacrificed some of the brake cooling for, for aerodynamic gain around the wheels, uh, which caused them a lot of problems. Yeah, and, and the things like the side pod openings and the things like exhaust openings, those are things that will change from race to race. So it's really important to bear in mind that the image you see um, on your computer in terms of the those openings and how that cooling is going to work, the actual opening size may change depending upon the cooling demands of a particular track you're at. But things like that side impact spar being low and those side pods being high that's not something that can change without having to retest those, the the impact parts of the structure. And more to the point, the car itself has been designed from the middle of last summer. It, it, frankly, even longer. They start designing a year or more in advance. Um, but a lot of because of the way the air is meant to work with the elements on the chassis, a lot of that stuff is baked in and is not easily changed once the season is actually here. So, so the stuff that you're seeing on the body of the car, um, opening sizes may change. You'll get little extra plates and little bits and bobbles. But basically, the big stuff is going to be pretty much staying where it already is. And I don't know if you caught his tone about it, that rear axle. Monotone. No, there was literally it, no change in like, tone. He said it will be interesting to see how that rear axle goes for them. And to me, that is... A healthy degree of skepticism about how that particular aspect of their design will work out in the long run. Don Byrne there in the chat says, Ron Dennis doesn't lie. He delivers truth from a more optimized alternative dimension. 
I believe that. See, that kind of language, that does it for me. That ticks my boxes. Uh, Lord Nuka says, if they manage 60 rounds on day one, that will be 100% better than last year. And the same person who complimented my pronunciation has given with one hand and taken away with the other and corrected my pronunciation of homologenic. If I said it wrong the first time, how is you typing it out going to help? Okay. Allegation spanners. God. What did you say? Read a book. <laughs> Read a book. Oh, my God. Google it, millennial. And then you can click the little phonic bit that tells you how to say it. Lawrence Rollograph says... I need to Google it. You're the one who needs to Google it. Lawrence Rollograph says, is that the version with the Y2K Vortex generators? Wow. You say the name of a Vortex wrong once and uh, people will latch onto it forever. I propose that Formula 1 simply embrace Y2K Vortexes. Vortices. Uh, someone asked a good question in response to somebody saying they wanted Sauber to do well. Oh, that was Lawrence as well. And then the chat room is suggesting that Sauber is probably most people's F1 fans' second team. So I want to know, who are your guys' teams? Do we have teams and who is your second team? Go on, Chris. I'm a journalist. I don't have teams. Oh, get out of it. Okay, before you were a journalist and you were just an F1 fan, who was your favourite team? Oh, it was McLaren always. been like Back when I was supporting people, yeah, it was always McLaren. So there we go, and uh, and I'm sure you managed to just ditch that that uh, that loyalty as a neutral journalist. And who's your second? Who's your plucky second team? Uh, I don't know. Um, I guess uh, just Ferrari because I kind of liked Fernando Alonso, and uh, when I was watching F1 as a as a neutral, it was it was when all the guys were going for the championships from Red Bull, Ferrari, and McLaren. And so when it looked like McLaren were out of it, I was kind of wanting Alonso to win it. Who do you want to see do well, Matt? Well, you know me. Uh, I'm a big Force India fan because I, I find them to be the most efficient team on the grid from a monetary point of view. Um, I, I, I like Mercedes because, of course, um, I, I think Hamilton is the fastest driver on the grid. You could argue maybe someone like Alonso has a little more experience and has some advantages there. But really, overall... He's just captivating to watch when he's in the car. And even people like Bradley Philpott agree with me. So so I like to see them do well. And I'm a bit of a Ricciardo fan. You know, I, I will throw it out there. He, he, he uh, especially watching his uh, junior races, um, he just the way he drives is, is really, really lovely to see. And, and he just seems to, A, always be having a good time and B, slightly bemused at what's going on around him so this is just a good combination from an entertainment point of view yeah and believe it or not guys my team has always been williams and i know i've been particularly harsh on them of late especially with my parody but that is because because i am a fan of williams and i and i want so much from them in fact in this modern era i want the impossible from the kind of situation they find themselves in now. I want them to win championships. It's not realistic, and I'm just an angry fanboy about it. Uh, I, I can, I'm, I'm going to have to throw Toro Rosso in there, too, because of their habit of showing up with one development that no top team has, and all of them copying it. So and then, I'll hand it to them there. That's a good thing. Fair enough. And then my plucky second team that I would like to do well from the midfield has been Haas of late, uh, only because I'm a massive Americanophile, and culturally I have a few tie-ins to American culture, and I did want to see an American team come in and just do well straight away. Um, I think they had a smart plan when they came in, Haas, and um, a lot of Americans have been backing them. It's not, it's not quite 
come off as they wanted it, but at least they're sustainable. So you can imagine Haas being sort of in there for the next decade, can't you? I, I think he's going to need to see some results. I don't think he's going to be happy to be eighth or ninth. And um, uh, frankly, I think if he really wants, I mean, you know, he went into it to sell machines on the other side of the planet. But if he wants support from the American public, he's going to have to be looking at an IndyCar driver, Joseph Newgarden, Connor Daly, who is now, I think, without a ride, and, and, and putting him in the seat to get some interest going. I, I don't think uh, Gene should at all worry about the the pace that they're setting in the moment. I mean, they are doing far better than any of the other new teams uh, that Formula One has had in recent years. You know, they scored on their debut. They were the first team to do that since Toyota in 2002. You know, that is a, a really a, an astonishing thing. You know, uh, yeah, they've had their ups and downs. And as a brand new team, you'd expect that. Uh, so I think they're doing a really uh, great job. And if they happen at this, you know, this year to find themselves slipping back to maybe the the ninth uh, best team, then that's still better than what the likes of Mauricio, HRT, and Caterham managed to achieve. All right, then let's ask a slightly different version of this question. We've asked your first and second teams. Who would you say is roughly your tenth team, Matt? Hmm. There's no way Steve, uh, Stevens is answering this question. I'm not even going to bother asking him. Who is my 10th team? Uh, you, you people will hate me for this, especially people in the Slack group. But I got to say, based primarily on the public past behavior of their current team principal, Red Bull is going to be near the bottom of the list for me. Ooh, yeah. No, that is, that's quite a, I don't think that is going to be a very popular one, Matt. I think a lot of people really like Red Bull still. And also because I happen to have sources that have reliably informed me that the single Formula One event that could possibly have once upon a time taken place in New York City was <clears throat> might very well have been torpedoed by that very same team that could be at the bottom of my list or near the bottom of my list. Allegedly. We have absolutely Alleg- no evidence of this whatsoever. None whatsoever. This is nothing but a wisp of a rumor I've heard but I've decided to take it seriously and hold it against them nonetheless. Chris, I'll skip you for that then. If you if you want to nod. Tenth team? No? He's, he's nodding. That's fine. Uh, my tenth favorite team. Just- when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This happens to be by a process of elimination. Ferrari, moving on. Shall we play the next voice clip from Summers? <laughs> it would have been better, actually, if I did have just listed off the other nine teams. Okay, let's see what Summers has to say about... I was looking for you to tell me which team it was. Yeah, Red Bull. Red, Red Bull. Bull. Okay, the team that you hate and hate everyone associated with it. Taking a look at the Red Bull RB14, it's easy to see that this is a much more complicated car than the launch of its predecessor, the RB13. Um, it carries over the fundamental high-rake philosophy that its predecessors have had, but it also carries some influence from last year's Ferrari, namely the uh, low-slung side impact protection spar, which allows much more variation in the side pod design. For anybody that's not um, clear what that actually means, the side impact spar uh, was mandated in 2014 when the FIA realised that the designs and costs were starting to spiral out of control. The regulations that have gone on since that in the hybrid era um, have kind of meant that the spar run across the top of the side pods. But when the regulations were changed in 2017, Ferrari exploited the new freedom that was allowed in that area of car. Um, That allows the side pod inlet and the side pod itself to be pushed back more um, and then becomes less affected by the turbulent weight coming off the front tyre. In the case of Red Bull, that's allowed them to significantly narrow their side pods, creating a much more smaller inlet and allows for a much more aggressive undercut. Uh, they've also made some clever, um, done some clever tinkering inside the side pods so that they can hug the centre line much more than you would actually think is possible. Very similar to sort of the RB5, 6, 7 generation of cars, which is frankly astonishing given the extra cooling demands of the hybrid systems. Elsewhere, the RB14 is very much an evolution of the RB13 that finished last season. But what is interesting is that rather than using a single element engine cover, as has been the case in recent years, they've opted to compartmentalise it, giving them much more adaptability and meaning that we could see numerous changes in testing and during the start of the season. Right. Fascinating insight on Red Bull. Just looking at the chat room. Got to say, thought they were all going to yell at me. Quite a lot of Ferrari votes for 10th favourite team. But we're talking about Red Bull now, Chris. And once again, they came out with an outstanding launch slash test livery. The zebra stripes were fantastic and brilliant. This was just the coolest livery I think I may have ever seen on an F1 car. That urban camo blue, especially for gamers who have, you know, seen it for a long time on like things like Massive Action Game and such like, where guys are kitted up in this kind of blue urban camo. You could not tell what the aero was doing underneath it. It was, do you know what? I'm going to say it. It was sick. <laughs> oh, wow. Is that the the highest praise it can get? I've got an eight-year-old. He assures me that that means that it's really good. It's counterintuitive because the word sick is is normally a bad thing, like if you're ill. But if you add an extra I, it's become like a thing like wicked or bad. At least it's better than gnarly, which can mean both good and bad. And you kind of have to just guess which one is being used at any one time. But But curse Red Bull for not racing in that livery. Just do it. No, exactly. I love that livery. It looks fantastic. And I would absolutely love them to, to, to race it. 
So I assume you're putting them now down at the bottom of your list, Spanners? No, it's so cool that it saves them from the bottom of the list. No, no. For me, Red Bull is right up there. Uh, I really like Christian Horner and the way he engages uh, on camera and the way he talks. And when he wants to take a, a shot at someone, he does it in a smart, amusing way. He is an orator. Uh, I like him. I like both their drivers. Uh, and I, I liked you know, Mark Webber when he was there. I liked them bef- when they were the party team and not the championship leaders. No, they're quite high on my list. Now, I know we were talking about Renault earlier and... Uh, the fact that they've pretty much already compromised all of uh, their team's start to the year. Uh, But if you remember back 12 months as as well, Red Bull were also having their own problems with their aerodynamics uh, in that they couldn't uh, get the data in the wind tunnel to quite match up with what they were seeing on track. Now that that's an issue that's behind them, you would imagine that they themselves are going to start strongly. It wasn't a very smooth launch actually because Daniel Ricardo crashed it in the in the wet during their filming day and broke the the front wing and the the floor and a bit of the suspension as well and I'll tell you what that actually very very lucky to get away with it they, they had such an early launch that they've been able to replace the parts before testing starts tomorrow so they're actually really lucky to get away with it an interesting one, Matt, isn't it? Because Red Bull have traditionally launched late or at testing, and they released a statement that said, apart from the halo, it's been an evolution, therefore we have been able to launch early. There was no advantage to holding late, so they just decided to show us the car. Yeah, and uh, it delightfully so. And once again, the excitement over delivery, I think, uh, fully fully justified. They do many, many things right. It's just Horner himself has done a few things in service of the team that have set me on edge and I have a hard time reconciling them with pretty much everything else about the team. But that's just me. It's a personal vendetta. I didn't realize. It just, he just rubbed me the wrong way and I have not gotten over it. I like him to the extent that his missus, Ginger Spice, was on a TV show, like one of those singing things where people vote. And I gave it more of a chance because she was, you know, Mrs. Christian Horner. Chris, don't shake your head at me. I have to watch those things sometimes. My wife is a singer. I can't, I don't have full control of the television. You wait until someone loves you in any way, shape or form. And that will never happen. I don't think it'll happen. You're intensely dislikable. Uh, should we move on to the next team in the next clip, Matt? We should. And it's now turn time for your favorite team, Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, I like him. It's fine. Don't know what you're on about. I like him average. Uh, Ferrari's SF71H is, like Mercedes, a refinement of what has gone before. And so we find that many of the concepts that have used, were used in 2017 have been carried across to, to this year's car. There are some very neat designs that they've added into to this particular car um, and things that we may see carried across to other people's cars as, as the season carries on. Um, looking at their front wing, they've copied the philosophy that McLaren ended last year with, where they've added some additional slots near the wide 250 region in order to enhance that vortex. Um, oh, wait, he said it wrong. He, what did he say just then? Y50? 250. Nah, it's Y2K. Y250 Fine. vortex. Uh, Y2K, but ugh, I don't know how we can respect the rest of it, but let's let's carry on nonetheless. Um, they've also made some changes to the front wing pillars, which is very McLaren-esque as well, adding a slot into the pillar um, and extending the length of those pillars in order to improve the way that the airflow moves in that region. 
Uh, the S duct, which was quite a neat design already last season, has a, a couple more layers of um, design accuracy to it in terms of adding some serrations inside the, the nose inlet in order that airflow can be moved around depending on um, various uh, conditions that the car sees. Um, and then obviously we move rearward towards the side pods which is again a, a big refinement over last year's car the side pod inlets on the front uh, frontal face of the side pod is extremely narrow more so than it was last year um, and everything else has been pushed back rearwards in order to allow airflow to move around the side of the car um, the front axle has actually been moved forward slightly in line with a wheelbase increase in order that um, they can deal with the front tyre wake issue, uh, which has obviously become apparent with the new 2017 regulations. Uh, the extra width of the tyre had an impact on the way in which airflow um, passed around the front tyre. So, yeah, the, the Ferrari SF71H is a very uh, interesting car. There's lots of little neat solutions like the wing mirrors, which have holes in the front and allow airflow to be carried through them, um, improving the flow over the side pod and into the inlets. Uh, but yeah, there is a lot of carryover as well. Um, sort of the rear wing is a, is a very much the same design as last year, and we've got barge boards that are similarly uh, the, the same as the ones that they finished last year with. Uh, Ferrari have taken on board um, the maximum tolerance in terms of the uh, shark fin, um, reduced obviously from last season to, in line with the regulations. And they've also included the little T-wing um, in the lower position, which we saw Williams and Sabre run at points throughout last season. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a big refinement over last year's car and um, something that perhaps will take the challenge to Mercedes again for 2018. See, I feel like a right sort of nagging old wife when you've got someone with that amount of tech expertise, but he's clearly like wearing a softie or something and he's kind of, it feels like that time. Do you remember when we had Rich Riding, who is a fantastic actor and the voice of Daddy Pig on Dad Hub, but he was sitting there, he'd forgotten to put his pop shield in. So he was going, oh yes, Peppa Pig is really, oh, it's very fun. And I'm like, oh my God. I can't believe I've got to tell this professional voiceover artist if he wouldn't mind sticking his pop shield on. So maybe sometimes I do make a bit of a fuss, Matt. I know. Really? Never know. Should we talk about Ferrari? Ferrari are a a real threat. Now, they are a real, real threat to the championship. Their car is decent. I still think it was the second best car last year, Matt. Something we spent most of last season arguing about. But they are a threat. They are within striking distance of Mercedes and we just don't know until Australia which car is going to be the one that's going to take the title. Yeah, that is correct. You did spend most of last season being very wrong about that, as I recall. Oh, dude, you just you were looking at testing times from Ferrari and just going, that's it, Ferrari have the best car, that's amazing. Clearly, in my mind, Chris, Mercedes had the best overall package. No, so the the fact that Vettel was leading the championship for three quarters of the season meant absolutely nothing to you then. No, okay, that's fine. On on Ferrari this year, in in this uh, instance we're talking about now, their the main job for this car, the seventy one, has got to be that it beats Mercedes when the Mercedes is operating at its peak, because that was the thing. The Mercedes on its day, it was unstoppable. But it had such a narrow working window that Ferrari, more often than not, were there to uh, pick up the pieces. 
so in in that sense, it was a quicker car. Wait a minute. Let's just say you've just backed up my entire my argument entirely, which is. No. Mercedes was a better car, but they couldn't always dial it in and they couldn't always get it together. And when they couldn't, Ferrari picked up the pieces. You've you've just said, Spanners, you're right. Please, can I give you a sensual back massage as a reward for being so clever? Does better always mean quicker? No. Okay, so I think we agree they had the quicker car. They had the most potential the Mercedes had. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. had the car with the most potential that they couldn't fully utilize across the season. I would have said the Ferrari was, was quicker and probably the one that, that should have won the title had certain events not taken place. See Matt, this is one of the things I said in my blog, which is Ferrari did have a car capable of winning a championship last season. But in fact, we'll go to Chris. Hamilton did better than Vettel. Bottas did better than Raikkonen. I will fully back you up on that yes uh, Hamilton was also just unstoppable in uh, in 2017 absolute peak year for him whereas Seb had those flashes that really really cost him um but the thing uh, as well the other the other thing that that Ferrari need from the 71 is just that extra five percent of reliability uh where you know they had one race with an issue on Seb's car that at that point it was just championship over and they need to find that just that t- tiny little bit more to be able to fully match Mercedes. Well, well Matt Rollograph in the chat room says, you know why they couldn't get it together? Because they were missing Rosberg for all the setup work. Absolutely. It, it, or Kubica, perhaps. I don't know. Call me crazy. Uh, I think Phoenix 2K1, 2001, yes, I know what that means, uh, makes the excellent point that Ferrari usually follow a promising year with a poor year. Ooh. Yeah, but, you know, past performance is not an indication of future gain, etc. Whatever they say on those scammy share schemes. Yeah, and the thing to me, really, the, the bigger difference, I think, I think the Ferrari was a more drivable car and more comfortable for the drivers um, to adapt to, both uh, Kimi and Vettel. But I think uh, especially Ferrari's strategy was aimed very much at winning Vettel yeah, the championship, yeah. and that did not help them in the constructors. Number one, and number two, um, although everybody assumed Mercedes was the uh, worst of the oil burners, the oil burning directive really seemed to stick a bit of a knife into the back of Ferrari for the second half of the season. It'll be interesting to see where they are. But if you ask me, differential wise, I'd say the Mercedes power unit was clearly better than the Ferrari, but not by a lot. But that overall, the Ferrari chassis was better in a wider range of circumstances than the Mercedes was. And it was all interesting after that. Don Byrne in the chat room says, as much as I am loath to agree with Spanners, Merck won the Constructors Championship comfortably. And Rob Graham says they need Kimi to show up. So I think, yeah, those those are big factors, Chris. Oh, most definitely. You know, uh, when you've got Lewis and Seb, uh, as as your two main rivals, the constructors is always going to come down to, uh, you know, who the second best driver is. Because Lewis and Seb, it was constantly one two, one two, one two, and then a bad day would be like a third or a fourth. So that's uh, that's that's what would play the part um, there. You know, uh, I mean, last season it toed and fro between Mercedes and Ferrari between every single race. You know, one would be quicker, and then the other one would be quicker in the following race, and. I would hope that this is something that's going to continue in 2018 and maybe with even less predictability. Yeah, so someone in the chat there is asking, basically, if I think 
that Mercedes, uh, sorry, that Ferrari would have won the championship if they had Hamilton and Bottas. And that is something I mentioned in my recent blog post. I think that is actually a very real possibility that if those two teams had swapped drivers, I think, you know, Ferrari might have been able to take that home. Uh, Seb went through something a little odd last year, maybe the pressure of being so close and having a car that could end his sort of drought as far as he's concerned. It must be very hard to recover from four straight world titles and not being able to compete. Then years later, it lands on your lap and, and it could just have all been a bit too much. You could have just had a very human reaction and human experience to it. And this year, if they turn up with a competitive car again, he's been over that ground now. So he could be a threat. I think Vettel does have the pace to bring a good car home. I think that because we had to watch four painful, horrible years of it. Uh, Matt, by your calculation, how many voice notes do we have left? One. Good. That helps me figure out which of these buttons to push. should Ferrari, Mercedes would be the last. Okay, let's hear about the title holders, Mercedes. Anyone expecting a brand new concept from Mercedes will be disappointed. The uh, W09 is actually a development of the predecessor, the W08, which is obviously uh, a lineage of, of cars that has won four championships now for Mercedes. Um, centred around the, their brilliant power unit um, and the way that they're able to um, use that, that power um, throughout the course of a, of a lap and, and a race. Um, the WR9 again is a low rake philosophy car, um, so that means that it's, it's squat at the rear of the car, um, doesn't have the high rake attitude that you would expect to see on a Red Bull for argument's sake. Um, again, it's, it matches the wheelbase of last year's car, which a lot of people were pointing out as to being one of the characteristic flaws of the car, um, when obviously Toto Wolf was calling it a diva. Um, but obviously that isn't the case. The, the team are still pushing forward with, with that wheelbase. And in fact, most of the grid have actually copied the Mercedes philosophy of increasing the wheelbase because of the changes that happened in 2017 and the way that the wake from the front tyres have an impact on the, the aerodynamic platform of the car. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big refinement from Mercedes. There's nothing stellar um, in compared to the W8, but it is a very good, very solid car, uh, slightly narrower side pod inlets in order to um, improve the aerodynamic profile of the car around the, the midriff. Um, but aside from that, it is just a massive step forward in terms of refinement. Um, when we look at the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari, you actually think that they're a year ahead of their comp- competition in terms of the way that the car actually looks. So that's our last voice note from Summers. A massive thank you to Matthew Summerfield for finding the time to give us those tech notes. I always have to listen to them two, three, four times before I understand it. So don't be ashamed if you skip back 30 seconds uh, Matthew Summerfield is at summersf1.co.uk. He is on Patreon. He obviously writes for motorsport, but when he doesn't have uh, a mandate to write about a particular piece from motorsport, he goes and does his own blog on that website. And if you could support him on Patreon, as well as Mr. Apex, Mr. Apex first, we would appreciate that. We think that supporting content creators at our level ensures that you can get future content like this. Matthew Summerfield is someone who doesn't make a full-time wage out of being a tech analyst. If he was to make no money, he would go away from motorsport forever. He'd have to. He's a family man. 
He has to work. He has to live. Uh, that's the sort of person you should be supporting if you want this level of media to succeed. Patreon.com for us, forward slash Missed Apex. And um, for Summers, you just yell, ow, now, at the screen, and it will just come up with his Patreon page. Uh, right, Chris, Mercedes, let's make no mistake about it. What Mercedes have been doing over the last few years is historic. When I'm in the pub talking to my kid in 15 years' time, and he's talking about F1 and uh, his weird theories about these future flying electric cars, and I talk to him about the days where F1 used to be actually on the ground and we burned dead dinosaur to make it all happen, I'll be talking to him about the historic Mercedes-Hamilton combination. Can they keep it going? I think the smart money is yes, at least for a bit. Yeah, even the the dumb money is yes. Uh, I mean, unless something absolutely <laughs> catastrophic happens, where they, I don't know, maybe they've put the halo on backwards and it completely blocks all the cooling to the car or something. Now, what what th- this car is about the O nine? It's it's about uh, taming the diva, as it were, but also retaining a little bit of the diva as well, just to have it have it be a little bit clicky with you every now and then. But the where, where they've mainly been focusing is in the suspension, the mechanical side of things uh, to try and widen that operating window that we've been talking about so that it is it remains the quicker car across a bigger variety of circuits because it was the, the hot circuits and the slower circuits they were really struggling at last year. And I'll just answer a question from the chat there. RJ Bowen says, has Joe Sayward weighed in yet on the reveals? Um, and in fact, yes, Joe Saywood is a very, uh, he's a veteran, isn't he? He's a veteran F1 journalist who goes to every Grand Prix and he has done since 1998. He comes on this show roughly monthly to talk to you for an hour about Formula One. And yes, he has a blog, which is Joe Blogs F1. So if you search Joe Saywood on the internet, it will come up with his sites. And yes, he has given his opinion on every single launch. Matt, what is your opinion on Mercedes? It depends. It depends on whether they really gotten on top of the issues that affected them last year with that longer wheelbase. But I'm just going to go out with I'm delighted to have two different aero philosophies actually competing for, we, we assume, competing for the Constructors' Championship. The Mercedes is a very different animal to the other uh, cars on the grid. And I think it's interesting that they decided to stick with that philosophy. It makes me think they feel like they fully understood last year's issues. And if if they have really gotten on top of it, there will still be enough differences that we are going to see, I think, some very competitive races, especially with the um, amount of additives they can dump into the fuel being reduced yet again from the FIA. Christopher Fonseca says, do you think Ericsson will still be on the grid when F1 features hover cars? Yes. Yeah, he will. He's going to be here forever. Uh, but yeah, Mercedes. Um, so, oh, sort of given away that I wasn't really listening to you there, Matt. Uh, what was the last point you made so I can cleverly segue onto the next thing? Uh, the last point I made was that even if they've done a great job with this car, the fact that it has such different handling characteristics, we'll see different competitors being close and probably some excellent battles throughout the year. Especially because, as we know, the amount of additives they can dump into the uh, combustion chamber has been greatly reduced by the FIA and their oil burning regulations. I remember what I was going to ask you now. How big a problem is it if Mercedes turn up in Australia and win by 30 seconds? Do you think the ratings go down? If you were Liberty Media, would you want to make sure that kind of didn't happen to that extent? 
Um, I, I would I would go with once again the it depends on how they win by thirty seconds. Uh, for example, if there's a massive smash at turn three that takes out half the field and they win by thirty seconds, that's not going to be the same kind of issue. Is if they win pole by by more than half a second and then just drive off into the distance a la the Red Bulls of old. I think you're right, actually. The qualifying time could be more telling than 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 what happens in the race because I remember Martin Brundle a few years back. It could even have been last season. We were in the Q3 and Mercedes suddenly pulled out a much faster time and he just audibly sighed on the commentary was like, oh, great, Mercedes are at the front again. You can see how disappointed he was. And I bet like half the people listening were just like, oh, great, you know, and then and like had some of that excitement sucked out of them for F1. You almost need Mercedes to get uh, their backsides handed to them in Australia, regardless of what overall performance they have, just so that people are enthusiastic about the season. I don't understand why people would be uh, upset by that as long as it's a good scrap. I don't care who's winning and losing races, as long as I get to see a good scrap for the win. That's all I care. That's like when people said Singapore 2015 was a, a, an amazing race because Mercedes were the third quickest team. It was an appalling race that was very boring, but Vettel won it, so it was brilliant. Well, I think the answer is at 30 seconds plus, if you look at the total number of laps in Australia, you're looking at a greater than half second per lap differential, and that's just boring. I think I think the point is it needs to be close or there needs to be some other exciting reason why it wasn't close. And 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 that will give us the good racing and, and not just good racing, because as we've seen, there's been tons of good racing in the midfield. Good racing in the midfield is not what Formula One needs. Formula One needs a, a motivated contest at the sharp end of the grid in order to retain people's interest. Granted, but if you had a Bahrain 2014 at every event that people would not get tired of that, even if it was just between two Mercedes. Yeah, no, people would not get tired of that, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about one car 30 seconds in front of the other crossing the finish line in Australia, and that car especially okay. being a Mercedes. One driver. Cause, it will cause a lot of people to just go, oh, Mercedes again. Yeah, we'll see you in 2019. And I think that's that's what you're hinting at, right, Spanners? Yes. Okay, one driver, I can, yeah, yeah, I understand that, rather than one uh, one team, uh, but... <laughs> you, you're cracking up, that's my fault, isn't it? Because Matt asked me a question, and clearly yeah, no, my, face, my, my face <laughs> yes. revealed that, no, I'm, I'm in the chat room, sorry about that. Sorry, finish yeah, your point, right. Chris. That's right, good one. <laughs> well, if Chris isn't going to finish his point, what no, we're going to do... That's mine was done. <laughs> that's fine, we're going to end with uh, a quick... A couple of minutes and we're not going to get self-congratulatory about this we know that what happened with us breaking a nice news story was a flash in the pan in november uh, and we're not going to just be dining out on past glory don't worry about it however we have dubbed the new technical directive that is asking teams to give access to all the engine modes to their customer teams we are dubbing it the carter directive matt and i think Barely enough, as if we look carefully at TD slash 005-18, right there, it says, uh, discussing Appendix 4 to the F1 Sporting Regulations, which course, I assume course, everybody yeah. has memorized. Oh, yes, this. absolutely. Uh, whilst the dossiers for each team may be identical, it would appear that some are being operated in a different way to others being supplied by the same manufacturer. 
Um, and that does sound an awful lot like this sort of thing that Carter was talking about when we did our, our, our wee little chat with him back in November. And further on down, one of the ticks is specifically, quote, run with identical software and must be capable of being operated in precisely the same way. And lastly, um, and equally important, run with identical specifications of oil and fuel. Now, that does sound like it might be more than just our chat. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course it is. That story's been ongoing and there's lots of increments in that evolution. But, you know, if if Mr. Carter did have an influence on that, because I think people were talking about what he said on our show and that story of how they got given an engine mode to chase down Vettel specifically, it seemed like, by the Mercedes engine rep, uh, and then he couldn't get that engine mode again. I mean, if that frustration then spilled over, I wouldn't be surprised if it had something to do with the hostilities between Renault and Toro Rosso, or, you know, I'm not saying it caused it, but I bet it came up when they were facing each other down. I bet that's in the back of their head to go, look, we know that conversation is out there that you're giving us the same engine. We've accepted that we don't quite get the updates at the same time. But if we don't have access to the same modes, especially this legendary qualifying mode, do we really have the same engine? The answer is is no. You don't have the same engine because those modes are part of the overall performance. Yeah, and here's your basic problem is the only car that can really take full advantage of a Mercedes power unit is a Mercedes. The other cars, well, for example, Williams has its own gearbox. It's never going to be able to use the power of the Mercedes power unit in the same way. The cars themselves are designed to take different advantages of the characteristics of the power unit. But with regard to the software, and specifically with regards to the to the engine mode and that quote-unquote hidden engine mode that made the Lotus suddenly seem like a different car to, to Groshan. What the issue there is going to be, and I hinted at it earlier, and it's going to be reliability because you are not going to be running it in that, you know, mode 13 all race long, chasing a single point for 10th place and get and only need three engines for an entire season. In the past, I suspect Mercedes engineers made the fairly rational decision that the difference between ninth and eighth place was not worth the cost of a brand new power unit and therefore did not bother to make these suggestions to the customer teams. What's going to be interesting is if they're required to make these modes available, the matrix in which they're embedded so that the team principal goes, well, I can have 30, you know, across engine number one, I get 90 seconds off my highest power mode to try and catch somebody on track. And after that, I'm paying for an extra power unit plus the grid penalties. And this is exactly how I would expect the manufacturers to present it to them. Well, crucially, it depends how many power units they can have. If it's 10 over the course of the season, I'd expect that button to be being pressed all the time. With three, they might get a little bit more nervous and they might have to have a real conversation and a real think about when they use it, sorry, when they move it, when they use it, but they are going to be able to use it. I think it's a step in the right direction. I want to see the gaps between the teams closer. Is it really going to hurt Mercedes to have Williams and Force India closer to their competitors? No, I don't think so. Ferrari are not going to be hurt by Sauber having access to those modes. Renault are the only one really in danger of of losing an advantage to their customer teams. 
Yeah, but I think Renault saw, saw the, the same gearbox. It's not as much of an issue as it is with uh, uh, Mercedes is the only one who has a customer team with a different gearbox. But imagine this. We've already seen how difficult it is for a Mercedes, say, that has a flat tire or has to start at the back because uh, they have a crash in qualifying. How difficult it is for them to get round a Force India or a William. And you can bet that those modes aren't even mentioned w- when these passes occur. If, if, if a Williams is properly ahead of, well, okay, maybe Williams is a bad example. Let's say, of course, India is properly ahead of a Mercedes and they have access to this mode they can employ to stay ahead, to have equal power. Well, then that's really going to change a lot of what we've been seeing in the past with regards to the midfield teams and the top teams. And that's going to be an interesting situation to observe when it first happens. Absolutely. And we are out of time. Just think, gents, the next time we all gather in my podcasting shed, there will have been F1 cars on track running in anger. Chris Stevens, do you have any final words? And where can people find you on the internet and the things you do? Oh, my final words are we've missed out on the Fuji thing again. (laughs) Curses, we've run out of time again keep overcramming the show it's a disgrace i'll go more in detail next week that's what i've been saying for the last three weeks uh yeah you can catch me on twitter at c stevens underscore journo you can find most of my written work at formulaspy.com and occasionally in autosport magazine and on autosport and motorsport.com as well i love it tldr it's a disgrace uh all in caps matthew trumpet where can people find you on the internet do follow matt trumpets on the internet by the way he's more interesting on twitter than he is on here and that's saying something because he's super interesting here well it is kind of an interesting thing but yes on the twitters you can find me at matt pt55 and for all both of you out there who are fans of my wife and her novels i believe she's got a little something new coming up on amazon in the next week or so so do keep your eyes peeled for that and personally, you can follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Join our Facebook group. It's quite good. I think there's about 500 people in there. Search Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook. Consider chucking a few dollars a month at us to keep this running. Not only keep it running, but to grow and expand. A big thank you to all our current patrons. Someone asked me in our Slack group that we do for the patrons. They said, there won't be a show today because Spanners has used up all his wife credits on doing the video masterclass in Herefordshire. Now, that that is a reasonable thing to say about a married man. But because we are Patreon-supported, my wife understands the value of what we're doing here, and she leaves it alone. She treats Missed Apex Podcast as work for me. There is never any question that I can get in the shed and do the podcast. Follow the podcast on Twitter, at Missed Apex F1. We will see you after some testing. Just remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory last forever this was missed apex oh wait 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 i have to do it differently don't i sorry i can't believe it what terrible human i am until next time remember that wounds heal ladies dig scars and glory last forever this was missed apex i'm totally a modern dude Chatroom says, I bet they'd extend Missed Apex podcast if Alonso asked. We would move this to Saturday for no one. Not even you, Fernando. Nando. 
don't ask us to move. We were also asking about comment of the week. Which I deliberately left until after the theme music. Matt, why don't you tell us who's won? Comment of the week. Oh, I'm so angry with myself. I haven't forgotten that for ages. Yes, it feels good to forget the thing again, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes, it could. It's nothing to do with what's in the, the mystery contents of this Minions mug. I'm sure it's nothing. But by the way, I just recently saw yet another dubious scientific article that caffeine and alcohol are very are more important than exercise and diet in living past the age of 90. If that's the case, I'm going to be here a long time. So we've got to have more alcohol and more caffeine. Deal. I only read the title. I didn't bother with the actual study because, as everyone knows, if you read the study, that just spoils it. Yeah, exactly. Who won (laughs) comment of the week? Crazy old fool. All right, Darren Johnston going for, if you put a picture of the alpha rear end up, you could be saying anything for two minutes. No one will be listening. Because they'll just be watching it and in awe. You hate, uh, was it, you love seeing it leave, but you like watching it go? Something like that. We had a neat little uh, pas de deux between you American and Rob Graham with you American saying, it is that alpha and Graham replying, or is it a beta? Nice. Uh, Phoenix, 2001, Ericsson's car will be named the Alpha Second Slower. Uh, Dom Burr pointing out everyone is ignoring the Ericsson ballast. (laughs) Who was that? That was Dom Burr. Oh, he trolls me too much, though, so that's minus three points. But yeah, that's hilarious. (laughs) uh, Rob Graham has an answer to your question and is demanding his mug. Um, Oh, Good. So he's going to tell me when Chris was so wrong about Renault and uh, Renault pairing off reliability versus performance. I want someone to give me that timestamp. I will send you that mug. You're in Canada as well. I'll still do yeah, it. I, I, I've, I've stuck it up in the notes if you want to have a look, but I don't want to give away the answer in case he's incorrect. Oh, no, I'm just going to uh, play it next next show. Uh, Bruce Wayne got to go and do something completely unsuspicious. Did anybody else mysteriously appear after that? Um. Uh, Low Stealth said, today I learned I have a pretty good marriage. <laughs> Again, we have Dom Byrne, who is not your favorite necessarily troll. My favorite Rodgers troll. doesn't lie. He delivers truths from a more optimized alternative dimension. Oh, God. He's going to win it, isn't he? God, come on, then. Yeah. What else? What else? Uh, I don't know. You have one or two others. Rob Graham with Y2K tongue, referencing Summers, of course. Uh, and we have M. Hilmi Fauzi with H listening to the um, Ferraris and Summerfield's delivery of said letter. You Americans suggest we give Vettel lithium this season. <laughs> and um, and here we go. Uh, low stealth again, Ferrari, the Star Trek movies of F1 teams talking about the bad year following the good year. And last, we have Lance Lassen uh, referencing Mercedes. Maybe they'll find something different to burn along with fuel this year. The soul of Nico Rosberg, perhaps. So who's the winner this year? This year? Who's the winner this week? Well, technically, it is this year. I mean, you know, we we have done this. I'm going to, I'm going to, you're not going to like it, but I got to go with Don Byrne. He made you laugh out loud, my friend. (laughs) He did. He made me laugh out loud. He is a worthy winner of this week's. Comment of the week. We are out of there. See you after testing. I haven't got that so, wrong. It is testing, isn't it, next week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. testing tomorrow. Starting so tomorrow. 
the Fuji thing. I'm just going to do it for the live stream now because <laughs> there's no way we're ever going to get this out. So people, so the fact that the uh, the Fuji World Endurance Race was pushed back a week just to suit Fernando Alonso. Uh, people were saying, can they move the F1 race? There is no way in hell. You've got Russia and Japan two weeks before the US, and then Mexico the week after that. F1 is always going to be a priority. Now, of course, the move has annoyed a lot of drivers. I think there are about ten drivers who already have. Uh, a contract to participate in Petit Le Mans in the IMSA series, which is now a clash. And the IMSA season has already started, so that's going to be really tough for them to negotiate. But Toyota, who requested the change so that Alonso could race in the in Fuji, have also screwed themselves because Nakajima and Kobayashi are in a Super GT race the same weekend, although there is a rumor they could be changing the date of that one as well just to suit their drivers. So what basically... Toyota have done here is they have strained relationships between WEC and IMSA, who apparently in 2020, 2021 time are supposed to be merging together to create one ultimate endurance racing series. Although apparently the boss of IMSA said he understands the Alonso impact, which I completely disagree with. There it is. The Fuji scenario in one minute. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.